Hey, my name's Britt, and this is your Only Black Friend Podcast. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to your Only Black Friend Podcast. It is still Black History Month, so I'm going to say it again. Happy Black History Month, everybody. This week, I am blessing all of you with actually two episodes. I know I said I was going to do two last week, but hey, real life gets in the way sometimes. Am I right? On today's episode, we're going to be speaking with my best friend, Sheldon. Sheldon and I met our freshman year of college at Eastern Illinois University and have remained close ever since. Sheldon is a black man, and we had an amazing conversation, and I cannot wait for you all to listen. Side note, well, maybe an exciting bonus note, there's going to be a part two to this episode right after this one, so make sure you listen to that to get the full conversation. And with that, let's get into it. Hey, Britt. Good to see you as always. My name is Sheldon. My pronouns are he, him, his, and I am a licensed therapist in Illinois and future counselor educator. I mean, my story is similar to yours. I was born in Chicago, on the south side of Chicago, and lived there until I was five. Memories of living in Chicago are very limited because I was so young, but I was surrounded by my family all the time and still was throughout most of my childhood. Mom had me when she was 16, and so we moved to normal Illinois so that she could finish college and she became a teacher and all this kind of stuff. But that meant I moved to bumfuck nowhere central illinois (laughs) at that time normal was this small college town like it was cornfields until you got to the town and then you drove through town saw campus and then more cornfields when we moved there and when i started kindergarten i was the only black kid in class and i was the only black kid in class until fourth grade i think And so when I think about my younger years, didn't notice it as much then, but when I think back on it, I recognize like my entire childhood was managing microaggressions in terms of like within my family and outside of my family of like, oh my gosh, you speak so well, or you speak so proper or friends at school being like, oh, you're such an Oreo because you're black on the outside, but you're white on the inside. Like, what does that mean? I'm black. Like, black is black. No matter what. I don't, <laughs> what? And so I don't think I, like, realized how much of an impact that had because that was just my norm for 13 years. It was just, like, every day. All the time. Every day. And it's, like... I don't know about you, but I feel like as I got older, that's when I realized how I normalized all of those microaggressions. Like, and it was like, oh, wow, I went through that for years and didn't even acknowledge it, just thought it was normal and that something that every Black person went through. And then you meet other Black people and you're like, oh, Oh, that's... that's I'm embarrassed that I let that happen. Mm-hmm. Then you don't talk about that embarrassment because mm-hmm. you don't want your newfound Black friends to think differently of you. Exactly. Yes, exactly. I hear that. Yeah. Yes. And so I think I like definitely feel some type of way about this, but I truly 
don't think I started to like reconcile with how messed up that was until late college because I went to, I, and I, this was my choice. I recognize this, but I went to a predominantly white school. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I was there. I know. I know. <laughs> yeah. And we love EIU. I, yes. I learned so much about myself, so much about the world at EIU. I love, love, love that school. Mm-hmm. And also yeah. white people be white people <laughs> in small town Illinois. Did you just say? Yes. Yes, I did. Okay. I stand by it. I see it. Okay. And so, you know, even like after I started college and I was making more friends, there was still this like internal battle of, I'm not going to allow the language that my high school and elementary school friends use with me. And also I'm not going to necessarily speak up against it because I've learned how to deal with it myself. Now it was different if I heard my friends or other people saying these things to other black people, then it'd be like, Oh no, like, don't do that. That's not cool. Like we live in a different, a different time and age. Calling someone in Oreo is racist, mm-hmm. point blank, period. It's racist. But I, but for myself, I did, I still didn't necessarily speak up as much. Yeah. And I think the like hardest part about my experiences growing up is I didn't quite know where I fit in with like the black community and with the black friends that I was making, especially if they didn't have what I deemed as a similar background as me in terms of like being black growing up in predominantly white areas. I didn't know if I would be accepted by them. I didn't know Mm -hmm. if I would be understood. I didn't know if I would be judged. And so oftentimes I just avoided. I like, I definitely made it a point to make more black friends, but I didn't talk about differences I was feeling or Mm -hmm. differences I was experiencing with them candidly candidly that's why I didn't choose an HBCU Mm -hmm. like my mom my mom talks about this all the time I don't know if I ever told you this no I don't think Um, so but when I was applying to college I received a full ride scholarship to an HBCU oh my gosh and (laughs) I turned it down because I was so scared about like am I gonna fit in in this Mm -hmm. community not only as a black kid who grew up with white people, but as a gay black kid. Mm-hmm. Um, and we know what it is. We There's yeah. been immense growth, but like being gay in the black community, is, there's still a lot of stigma and, yeah. homoph- and homophobic thoughts. And so I was like, and so in 2011, mm-hmm. or, is that when we graduated? That school? is when we graduated 2011. <laughs> wow. I, I was feel like, you know. <laughs> I was like, am I going to be safe in yeah. this in this community as a black gay kid? I want to go back to high school. So at my high school, there were black kids, but there was, you know, a very small number of us. Like I would probably say- Five to 7% of the school population. If that, maybe even two, like it was teeny tiny, but it was like each black kid had a group and each group never interacted with each other. There were kids who, you know, quote unquote, the thugs or like the gangster kids. Then there was another group, which was like the popular kids who they were in all of the sports, they were in cheerleading. And then there was me who was the floater, but hung out with like the theater kids. Like, it it was like, we- You say that, because I was the same, I was a floater, but I I, I was a music theater kid, but- (laughs) I associated with all the other groups. (laughs) Yes, I liked floating. I prided myself on being able to blend. 
And I realize now that that was a defense mechanism because of fear of not being able to fit in. And I just had trained myself to essentially every new space that I walked in, I would look at the energy of the room, see who had the most positive energy and gravitate towards that person, regardless of their skin color, just because I knew that if I got the nicest person in the room to like me, everybody would like me. That was always my mentality so that I could keep myself safe and not be a target and have a target on my back. Yeah. Yeah. I, you said it, you said it. Every, every decision I made growing up was how can I not stand out as a black gay kid? How can Mm -hmm. I fit in with this group of people, with this teacher, with this club Mm -hmm. to make sure that like they see me like one of them so that I don't feel like my life is in danger. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to go back to like, even back then, de- designating one of the groups of kids as like the thugs or the gangsters, that's absolutely white people mm-hmm. labeling a type of black kid. Oh, yeah. Because of where they are from, because of how they acted, because of how they dressed. And that was something that I definitely had to like, learn and challenge throughout my life. Because like, so like a, a part of living in normal is that when the projects closed down in Chicago, a lot of those families moved to normal. Mm-hmm. And so the teachers, when they met these students that were coming in from urban Chicago, who were living within systematic barriers to their health and their education and their safety and all that kind of stuff, they just grouped these kids as thugs mm-hmm. and didn't actually try to learn their histories and their experiences and how that was impacting their education and how they were showing up in classes and schools. And so, yeah, those groups definitely existed where they had, you had the sport kids, you had the theater kids, you had the bad kids, mm-hmm. you had the like students who were struggling in school. And so they all hung out with each other, but we didn't, at least in high school, we didn't necessarily mm-hmm. hang out with, with each other, which I thought, looking back is so odd Mm -hmm. and I also recognize we are all trying to figure out how to be safe Mm -hmm. and comfortable in this space yeah like I know like it's crazy like I went to an all-black church most of my life and went to school with maybe like half of the people at my church but we didn't hang out at school we hung out all the time at church and our church involvement stuff sometimes Mm -hmm. outside of church but we didn't hang out at school we would talk to each other and say hi but kept to our separate groups. Mm-hmm. And that could just be like a high school social click thing or whatever. But it's weird looking back that like we're in this space where there's not a lot of people that look like us and we mm-hmm. weren't choosing to like come together and group together. Yeah. I guess I've never really thought about that way either until you said it like that. But like, yeah, no, that was absolutely a real thing in yeah. high school for me. It was like we all had our pods and we could acknowledge each other and say, Mm -hmm. hey, do the black people Mm -hmm. head nod. Mm -hmm. But there was it was like if we were seen together, people would make it out to be something that it wasn't. I felt like any other time that I interacted with another black person at my school. You know what I just thought about? Go. When we would group up, Mm -hmm. we were too loud. We were too rambunctious. Mm. We were too disruptive. Mm-hmm. Well, we're just celebrating being with us. Yeah. And so it it wasn't safe to group up because then we all got in trouble for talking and hanging out with each other. Mm-hmm. 
every time. And then if there is any drama in the groups, it was automatically like, oh, the black kids Mm -hmm. drama versus, Mm -hmm. no, we're teenagers and we're stupid and we make bad choices. (laughs) I know for myself, like I enjoyed high school, Mm -hmm. but then when I take into context all these systems that I didn't understand back then, I'm like, damn, they weren't shit. That's funny that you'd say that. So I went and saw my parents And I was driving back home and I actually went a different way than I typically go. I went past like my old high school and I was just driving this thinking about like, do I actually have good memories from this school or did I was so traumatized by constantly being bombarded every day with microaggressions and having to deal with bullying and harassment all the time. And I covered it up as saying like, oh, these people are my friends. Like Mm -hmm. I'm getting this attention because people like me because I'm a good black person. And so I was, I know, like that was what I was thinking about when I was driving. And I was just like, I don't actually think I had a very good high school experience. Like I, and don't get me wrong. I love my friends. I love the friends that I still have to this day, but they know, and I know the shit that went down that I was involved with. And it's just, it's not cute. It's not cute. cute. As we get older, it's not cute. cute. I want to talk about being tokenized. That's something that I don't think I realized that I was tokenized until I got much older and was reflecting on past experiences. But I'm curious for you, when did you first recognize that people close to you were using you essentially as the token? My longest, dearest friend who I love to the moon and back majority of our childhood my introduction when I would meet new people with her was oh my gosh it's my black friend or when once I came out oh my gosh it's my gay black friend mm-hmm. I'm like mm-hmm. I don't understand why these qualifiers have to exist I never quite understood why we were like accessories like there were a couple people that definitely were this is Brittany my black friend and it's like you can see that I'm black I'm I'm your friend but why like because they want to seem cool they want to seem like they want to be woke right like woke became a thing Mm -hmm. or that age right they want to show that they are knowledgeable and aware about Mm -hmm. the issue that the black community faces so clearly you say my black friend is you trying Mm -hmm. to prove something yeah you need to prove something to and to feel comfortable being my friend then I don't want to be your friend in school like teachers and administration saying you know I'm really proud of the work you're doing and how how stand up you are because you know not all the mm-hmm. not all the students like yourself are like that mm-hmm. like, the fuck what does that mean that was a very backhanded <laughs> compliment wow <laughs> When that was said to me, I was like, I don't, I don't yeah. help me understand what that means. Yeah. Um, at least you had that recognition. Cause I honestly, at one point in my life was like, oh, thank you. Like I, it just completely would go. Oh, over it wasn't, head. it wasn't always help me understand the, mm. I, the first time that statement <laughs> happened. I was like, oh, thanks. The second time that's maybe the third time that statement happened. I was like, wait a minute. Yeah. Something about this doesn't feel good. Yeah. I need to sit on this for a bit because I thought I, one, for my safety, but two, like, I tried to think the best of people. So, like, why would they be mm-hmm. demeaning 
my community in any way by giving me a compliment yeah. or in not even not even high school in college mm-hmm. those damn eiu marketing posters <laughs> yeah I got uh, all the white people and then the one poster uh, with my face on it no. and i'm like i was Mm. In my naivety, I was happy to do that because I was mm-hmm. for I was all for student affairs. I was yeah. that was what I wanted to do. That was what I, that was what where I wanted to be. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it was probably like two or three months after those posters went out, and I was like looking around at all the other ones, and I was like, "You got all these white people, and then you got me and Mar- yeah. you got Mario, the only Latino, and me, the only black person, and." I was like, wait a minute, wait a, wait a minute. What, what helped me understand? You don't even have like different groups of people in this group image. It's all white mm-hmm. people and then me, yeah. all white people and Mario mm-hmm. or just the all white people. And I was like, what? Yeah, that was, yeah, that was not good. It was not I think you good. were in those posters too, weren't you? I don't, I hope not. I don't remember that. <laughs> I really hope I wasn't in those posters, but yeah, I yeah, you brought up a really good point. When you are the only black person available, you get used a lot for projects and things to show diversity. And I think I've told you this, but at my last job, we had a video team. But the problem was is that we were in Effingham and that's place in Illinois for people that are listening. <laughs> it, I did not swear. It's a real place. It's called Effingham, Illinois. But like they would use me for different video projects because we did like teachings and stuff like that, Mm -hmm. like on our LMS or whatever. And they would use me to be like in the background or as a patient or a doctor to show our diversity. And at at first it was kind of funny. I was like, ah, you know, there's not a lot of black people here because it was me and one other girl. It, It got to the point like towards the end of my career working there that it was just It was more sad than like annoying to get pulled on all the time to have to do these projects because it, it, I was just like, I don't understand why we can't have more diversity here. Like Effingham is right next to Charleston, which is a college town that should be able to get people to work in Effingham that are more diverse. Thank you so much for tuning in. As always, follow us on Instagram at Your Only Black Friend Podcast. And if you're interested about being on the show, send me an email at Your Only Black Friend Podcast at gmail.com. And make sure to listen to part two coming up right after this. Mm-hmm.